Almighty God, we're thankful for another Lord's Day, another opportunity that you've given us to live on your good earth and to praise you and to study from your word. Father, we ask that you continue to be with us during very uncertain and difficult times in our country. Father, continue to help us endure and cope with the different changes that may pop up. Father, help us get through each day. Be with us, Father. Help us always keep our minds fixed on your glory and our citizenship, which is in heaven. Bless this study in Jesus' name. Amen. Where did Jesus actually walk on this earth? Where did he actually preach? What group of people on this planet were actually blessed to see him with their eyes and even hear his voice, hear him with his very voice preach the word of God? Have you ever thought about those questions before? Have you ever pondered those questions? Have you ever considered that one of the purposes of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to answer those kinds of questions? Here at the Monte Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona, we've been making an effort to read through the entire New Testament this year. By reading just one chapter a day, five days a week, we've been trying to make our way through the whole New Testament. We've been following a Bible reading plan. In fact, so far in our New Testament reading this year, we have read two of the four Gospels. We've read the Gospel of Mark, and we are about to conclude the Gospel of Matthew. And in both of those Gospels, we've learned so many things about Jesus Christ. We've learned about his miraculous birth, how he was born of a virgin by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've learned about his life. We've learned about his teachings. We've learned about his miracles, his supernatural power. We've learned a lot about the 12 men that he handpicked to be his special ambassadors. We've learned a lot about his interactions with his enemies the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. We've learned about his death. We've learned about his burial. We've even learned about his glorious resurrection from the dead. We've learned so many things pertaining to the core teachings concerning Jesus' life. We've even learned, we've even learned about his walks. We've even learned about the specific places that he traveled to while he walked on this earth. In fact, that is something that the gospel may tell us more about or as much about as, as anything else. I mean, for those of you who've been doing the Bible reading this year, haven't you noticed that? For those of you who've ever read through the New Testament before, haven't, haven't you noticed just how often geography is mentioned in, in the word of God. H haven't you noticed just how often the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go out of their way to tell us about geography. They go out of their way to tell us 
about the specific places that Jesus went to in the land of Israel. Haven't you noticed that? I will confess to you, my dear friends, that up to about five years ago, I did a very poor job in noticing that. I did a very poor job in paying attention to that. In fact, up to that point, whenever I would read through the Gospels, whenever I would read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or really just any part of the Bible, I would kind of just blitz through the geography. I wouldn't really notice it. I mean, I had never been to those places before. I didn't know what they looked like. I didn't know really where they were. And so I would just just read it on the page, but I wouldn't really think about it or ponder on it. I would, I would just want to get to the action to, to see the, the things Jesus actually did. I, I hardly ever pay attention to any of the geography. I mean, that's, that was my mentality up to about the year 2015, but when October of 2015 occurred, I was given an opportunity to take a two-week journey with a group of Christians, and I was able to see some things on this journey that changed my life forever. I was able to see some things on this journey with a group of Christians that changed forever. How I read, not just the Gospels, but, but the Bible as a whole. You see, back in October of 2015, I was actually able to take a two-week journey to the land of Israel. I, I was actually able to go and see many of these places that the Bible talks about. I was actually able to step foot on the very places that Jesus walked when he was on this earth and brothers and sisters, it helped me understand more than ever the reason why the gospel writers mentioned the, the geography of Canaan or Israel so much. When I was actually able to see the land of Israel and go to these places that the Bible talks about, it helped me understand why God picked the land of Israel for his people to dwell in in the Old Testament. It helped me understand why God sent his son to, to do most of his work in the land of Israel. It helped me understand why the Bible tells us that while about 70% of the ministry of Jesus took place in the little area of Israel called Galilee. After taking this trip to Israel, a few years ago, I was able to understand and see clearly why the geography that is mentioned in the Bible is there. I was able to understand more clearly why Jesus walked on the specific places that he walked on. I was able to see more clearly why about 70% of his ministry was in the area of Galilee. You see, once I was actually able to see the land of Israel with my own eyes, my appreciation for the geography mentioned in the Gospels was taken into a whole new level. And so beginning today and going for the next few classes, it is my hope and my mission that I can help you 
see that as well and have a better appreciation for that as well. Beginning today, I want to begin a series of Bible study lessons that we're going to entitle Jesus Walks. We're going to call this series Jesus Walks, and in this series, we want to highlight some of the specific places that the gospel writers tell us that Jesus actually spent time in when he was on this earth. In this special Bible class series, I want to highlight the geography that is mentioned in the New Testament. I want to show you some actual, some pictures of these actual places. I want to share with you some of the things I learned about these places when I was able to travel there. I want to rehearse with you what the Bible says about these places and why the Lord went to these places and what he actually did when he was there. I want to share with you some pictures and some information pertaining to the places that Jesus walked, I want you to understand that when you read the geography that's in the Bible, it is therefore a reason. The Holy Spirit never mentions or gives unnecessary words. Every part of the Bible, every verse, every sentence, every word, every place that is mentioned has a purpose. The Holy Spirit is mentioning the geography in the scriptures for a reason. These were real places that contained real people, and our Lord spent real time there. I want to talk with you over the next few classes about the places where Jesus actually walked, and that I was blessed to see. And let's just begin by considering what may be one of the more important cities that is mentioned in the Gospels, and that is the city of Capernaum. I want to talk with you about Capernaum. Have you ever noticed, as you've been reading through the Gospel, or as you've ever read the Gospel, have you ever noticed just how often Capernaum is mentioned in the Scripture? You ever noticed that before? I want you to go in your Bible into the Gospel of Mark. We actually began our Bible reading this year by reading the Gospel of Mark. I want you to go over to Mark chapter 2. Go over to Mark chapter 2. We're going to read some verses in the Gospel of Mark. I also want you to go in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. Go to Mark 2 and go to Matthew chapter 4. What I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to give you a few fast facts about the city of Capernaum, the city that is mentioned so often, or almost at least 20 times in the New Testament. The first thing I want us to understand is according to what the gospel tells us, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, he spent a lot of time in this city. He, he spent a lot of time in the city of Capernaum. When you look at what the gospel tells us, the Bible says that Capernaum was actually Jesus' home. While he was not born in Capernaum, and while he was not even raised in Capernaum, he was actually raised in Nazareth, and we'll have a lesson about Nazareth also. While the Lord was raised in Nazareth, the Bible says his home, when he became an adult, was in Capernaum. Capernaum was where he took up residence. It was where it appears that he even owned a home for a time. The gospel also tells us that Capernaum was the center, the very center, the base of operations for his Galilean ministry. 
As I said earlier, Jesus spent about 70% of his three-year ministry in the area of Galilee, and much of that preaching was done in the city of Capernaum. Are you in Mark? Look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says when he, referring to Jesus, had come back to Capernaum. Notice how Mark mentions Capernaum here. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. Notice how Jesus took up residence in Capernaum. He evidently owned a home in Capernaum. Go now to Mark chapter 9. In Mark chapter 9 and in verse number 33, in Mark chapter 9 and in verse number 33, it says they, referring to Jesus and the apostles, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, notice again the idea of residence. When he was in the house, he began to question them, what were you discussing on the way? Go now to Matthew, the fourth chapter. We've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew over the past several days. In Matthew chapter 4 and in verse number 12, Matthew 4 and verse number 12, it says, Now when Jesus heard that John, this is referring to John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, when the Lord heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum. Notice again the idea of residence. Taking up a home. He settled in Capernaum after he left Nazareth, which is by the sea. This is the Sea of Galilee in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. Notice how the Holy Spirit inspired both Matthew and Mark to talk about geography. For those who may not think that geography is important when talking about the Bible, let me suggest that to think that way is to also say that what the Holy Spirit says about geography is not important. It is to say that the thoughts of God and the information of God is not important. The Holy Spirit obviously felt geography was important. Otherwise, he wouldn't have included it here in the gospel. And so Jesus spent a lot of time in Capernaum. Capernaum was his home. It was his residence. He had a residence there. It was the center of his Galilean ministry. In fact, as I said a few minutes ago, Capernaum is mentioned almost 20 times in the Gospels. Now, some information about the city, some background info about Capernaum. We need to understand that this town, this town that you can even still visit to this day, it sits on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. As you see on the map on the screen, you see that Capernaum is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum also sits about two and a half miles away from the mouth of the Jordan River. So we got the Sea of Galilee. It's near the Sea of Galilee. It's near the mouth of the Jordan River. Remember, the Sea of Galilee was the sea that Jesus did a lot of his traveling on. He took several boat rides from place to place across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is not a very big sea at all. I actually took a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. It is a very small body of water. And I also was able to see the Jordan River. The Jordan River today is a very dirty river. It's a very filthy river. But remember, that river was the place where Jesus 
Somewhere in that river, Jesus was baptized by John. And so Capernaum is, is near. It sits on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. It sits two and a half miles from the mouth of the Jordan River. And to give you an idea, as you look at the map, to give you an idea of just how small the area of Israel is, and I'm not just talking about Capernaum when I say that, and I'm not just talking about Galilee. I'm talking about just the land of Israel. Just to give you an idea of just how small that, that little piece of land is, it is interesting how the state of Texas, the state that I'm from, it is 33 times bigger than the land of Israel. The state of Arizona, where I am a resident, the state of Arizona is 14 times bigger than the land of Israel. Texas is 33 times bigger than Israel. Arizona is 14 times bigger than Israel. Israel is a very small piece of land, but it was a significant piece of land, especially in the time of Jesus. It actually connected three continents. It connected Africa to Europe and Asia. A lot of traveling went through Israel. A lot of foreigners came through Israel and God strategically picked that land for his people because it was a way for his people to tell other nations, particularly from Africa and Europe and Asia, about the one true and living God. So there is a strategic reason why God picked that little piece of land to be the land for his people. Now, when I was taking a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, one of the interesting things I learned is anywhere you are on the Sea of Galilee, and any place you really are in Galilee, if you just look around the sea, you can see all of that area. It doesn't matter if you're on the north, the south, the east, the west, any part of the, from any part of the Sea of Galilee, you can see all of the area. It's a small area in which Jesus did a lot of his work. You know, so often when we, when we think of Jesus traveling, we may think of him walking 50, 60, or 70 miles. That, that wasn't the case. We're really talking about the Lord walking a few miles, maybe even two to five miles from place to place. Galilee was not a big area at all. And, it's, and it's especially would have been quicker for him to travel by a boat. You know, so often when we, when we read the language in the Bible that says he goes across the sea, we're thinking from east to west or north to south. That's not really how the Bible writers use the word across. The word across could just mean going from one part of the east to the other part of the east. It doesn't necessarily mean going from east to west. So think of it in that way. Jesus is not really traveling long distances, really long distances because Galilee is a very small area. The meaning of the name Capernaum, going back to Capernaum, is Nahum's town. Nahum's town. When you hear the name Nahum or the, or, or the, or the word Nahum, you may think about the prophet in the Old Testament that was named Nahum. There is no evidence that the prophet of God, Nahum, had any ties to Capernaum. Uh, there is no evidence that we have that any of the prophets really spent time in Capernaum. That's just, that may just be a coincidence that it was named after someone who had the prophet's name, Nahum. It means Nahum's town. It was also a very popular fishing town. This is one of the most important things to know about Capernaum, that many fishermen during the time of the first century would work 
at Capernaum or near Capernaum. In fact, when you read the Gospels, the Gospels tell us that because of Capernaum's location, four of Jesus' apostles worked in Capernaum. Peter worked in Capernaum. James and John worked in Capernaum. Andrew worked in Capernaum. Four of the apostles who were fishermen were called by Jesus from their professions at Capernaum. Fishermen picked Capernaum to do their work because of its strategic location. And not only did this town have strategic value to fishermen, it also has strategic value to the Romans. It actually served as a toll collecting station to gather tax revenue from caravans passing from Damascus to the Mediterranean coast and to Egypt. In fact, in Matthew chapter 9 and in verse number 9, the Bible says that the apostle Matthew, before he became an apostle, he had a tax booth in Capernaum. Jesus called Matthew to be an apostle in Capernaum. Tax collectors occupied Capernaum, and so did Roman soldiers. Uh, during this time, the Roman Empire is in control of much of the world, and many of the Roman soldiers occupied Capernaum. In Luke chapter 7, we can read about a Roman centurion occupying Capernaum. In John chapter 4 and verse number 46, we can read about a high official of the king occupying Capernaum. Several Roman soldiers occupied Capernaum, and Capernaum sat on a sloping incline that rose above the Sea of Galilee. The reason I bring that up is because Capernaum was literally a city set on a hill. In fact, many scholars suggest that the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 may have been given in an area that was near Capernaum. Many suggest that as Jesus taught that sermon, and in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse number 14, as he talks about that how his people should be lights in the world and like a city set on a hill, it is very likely that as he was preaching that lesson, he was pointing to Capernaum. He was saying that my people, my people should be like that. They should be like Capernaum, a city that is on a hill, a city that is elevated to a point to where all can see its glory. Capernaum was a city that literally sat on a hill. It may have been the city that Jesus was using to illustrate his point in the Sermon on the Mount. Another thing we need to understand about Capernaum is Jesus did a lot of his preaching there. You see, Jesus not only preached about Capernaum, probably in the Sermon on the Mount, but he also preached in Capernaum. Go in your Bible to Luke, the fourth chapter. In Luke chapter 4, we can read about Jesus preaching in Capernaum. Luke chapter 4, look at verse number 31. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 31, it says, and he, referring to Jesus, came to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were amazed at his teaching, for his message was with authority. Notice how the Bible says that Jesus, Jesus preached in Capernaum. He did a lot of preaching in Capernaum, and the preaching he did there would no doubt have been done in a synagogue. A synagogue of the Jews, you say, because Jews were dispersed all throughout Israel and all throughout Galilee, synagogues were located all over the place. In fact, it is said that every city, or at least most cities, had at least one 
synagogue. And Jesus certainly taught in the synagogue of Capernaum. For those who may wonder what a synagogue is, a synagogue is really a Jewish learning center. You know, so often we call them, we think of them as places of worship. That really wasn't the case in the first century. Synagogues were really Jewish learning centers. It was places where the Jews would go to learn more about God, to hear scriptures read, to engage in prayer, but really just to talk about the scriptures and to be educated from, by the scribes and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were Jewish learning centers, and so a Jewish rabbi or teacher like Jesus certainly would have been given opportunity to teach and educate people in the synagogue. Uh, much of Jesus' preaching was done in the synagogue. Jesus went to synagogues for a reason. He knew that in those places, you had Jews who would be there eagerly seeking to learn more about the word of God. And so Jesus did a lot of preaching in Capernaum. In fact, when I was in Capernaum, I was actually able to see where the synagogue was located. In the picture you see here on the slide, this right here is a picture of a 4th century, 4th century limestone synagogue. This synagogue was constructed of limestone in the 4th century. And the most interesting thing about this synagogue here is this particular synagogue was actually built on top of the synagogue that Jesus preached in in the 1st century. The white limestone synagogue was built on top of the first century synagogue that was constructed of basalt. The first century synagogue was constructed of basalt, and it is that synagogue, that structure that you see there in the picture, that is the synagogue that Jesus would have no doubt preached in. Jesus preached in the synagogue that the fourth century synagogue that was built on top of. It was in this area in this synagogue that Jesus went in and wowed people with his teaching from the scriptures. It was in this synagogue that Jairus was the ruler over. Remember, Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. This was the synagogue that he was the ruler over. They have found the actual synagogue of Capernaum. And there was only one in Capernaum in the first century, and that's the one that Jesus preached in. Jesus did a lot of preaching in Capernaum. And he also worked a lot of miracles in Capernaum. I'm going to pop through these real quick. When you study the gospel, you learn in Mark chapter 1, we can read about Jesus in Capernaum, healing Peter's mother-in-law of a terrible fever. In fact, when you visit Capernaum today, they have found what they believe and what they believe to be, and I don't know if they can be 100% certain on this one, but they have found what they believe to be Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house, her actual house. I'm not sure if that's the case 100% or not, but we do know that it had to be within somewhere in that vicinity because Capernaum is not a big town. It's not like Phoenix, Arizona, or New York City. It's a very small town. And the Bible says that Peter's mother-in-law lived in Capernaum, and it was in her home where Jesus healed her of a terrible fever. In Mark chapter 1, we can also read about how it was in Capernaum that Jesus cast demons, demons out of people. Demon possession was a big thing going on in the time of Jesus, and Capernaum was one of the places where Jesus cast the demons out. 
In Luke chapter 7, we can read about Jesus making well a centurion's servant. He healed this man's servant. You go over to John, the fourth chapter. In John chapter 4, we can read about him healing, healing a nobleman's son who was at the point of death. In Matthew chapter 9 in Capernaum, we can read about him healing a paralyzed man. In Mark chapter 3, we can read about him in Capernaum restoring a withered man's hand. You go over to Matthew chapter 9, you can read about him healing a woman who had a hemorrhage of some kind. She had an issue of blood that she had been suffering with for several years, and she had so much faith in the power of Jesus that when she just touched his garment, she was made well instantly, even though she had spent a lot of money through the years to her doctors, and they could not cure her. When you continue reading in Matthew chapter 9, you also see that in Capernaum, Jesus resurrected somebody. There are three specific examples in the gospel of Jesus raising the dead. One example is in Luke chapter 7, when he raised a widow's son from the dead, a widow from Nain's son from the dead. In John chapter 11, we can read about him raising from the dead Lazarus. And in Matthew chapter 9, we can read about him raising Jairus. Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. Jesus raised his little girl from the dead. That happened in Capernaum. Jesus did a lot of preaching in Capernaum. Jesus worked a lot of miracles in Capernaum. Jesus was in Capernaum quite a bit, and there's a reason for that. There was a reason why Capernaum was a place that has strategic value in the ministry of Jesus. There was a reason why he chose that place to be the base of his operations, and to be the city where he took up a residence. It was a port city. A lot of fishermen came into that city to work. He called four of his apostles at Capernaum. That's where he met Peter, James, John, and Andrew. It was also a very religious city. There was a synagogue there. Many Jews who were trying to serve God, will go and learn about God in the synagogue. They would go and hear teaching from the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the synagogue. They would even go and hear Jesus preach in the synagogue. It was a very religious city. But not only was it an important city to the Jews, it was also an important city to the Romans. The Romans had several soldiers, several centurions, and noblemen in the city, and that would have given Jesus a great opportunity to not only preach the word of God to Jews, but also at times preach it to Gentiles and show Gentiles, even in the city, his miraculous power. There is a reason why Jesus did much of his work in Capernaum. The question, though, is this. The question is, what can we learn about Jesus and his work in Capernaum? Well, let me give you three practical lessons, and then that's going to be our video. First, as you continue reading through the gospel this year, and as you continue hopefully noticing just how often the Holy Spirit tells us about Capernaum, I want you to notice how Capernaum is so significant to the gospel story because in Capernaum, Jesus clearly verified his identity. Capernaum was one of the places where he verified 
100% that he is who he claimed to be. Go back to the Gospel of Mark, and I want to show you this back in Mark chapter 2. Over in Mark chapter 2 and in verse number 1. In Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1, it says, When he, referring to Jesus, had come back to Capernaum, several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. People found out Jesus was at his house. And many were gathered together, so there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. So Jesus here is probably preaching the word of God in his house. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men, but unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof. They took the roof off of the Lord's house. They removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they laid down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And so notice, picture this in your mind. They're lowering this paralyzed man in to see Jesus through the roof. They can't get him in through the front door or the back door or even the side door if there was one. They got to bring him in through the roof. But that's how determined they are to get this man to Jesus. That's how much faith they have in Jesus' power to heal him. Verse number five, and Jesus seeing their faith said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus, aware in their spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? So that the Son of Man may know, but, but so that you may know, I'm sorry, that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately, immediately picked up the pallet. And he went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed. They were glorifying God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Okay, so here we have Jesus doing two things. We have a sick man, a paralyzed man being brought to Jesus. And his friends have so much faith in Jesus. They're so determined to get this man to Jesus that they lower him in through the roof. They lower him in through the roof to get him to Jesus. But before Jesus heals this man physically, the Bible says here that Jesus first healed him spiritually. Jesus first forgave this man for his sins. And when he did that, the religious leaders who were also there, they were upset about that. They were disturbed by that. They were angry about that. They asked the question of who in the world gave this man that authority? Only God has the authority to forgive sins. They accused Jesus of blasphemy. And so Jesus says, since you questioned me, since you question my authority to forgive sins, let me show you I have the authority to do that. Let me show you by doing something that only God can do. He then told the paralyzed man to get up and walk, and the man got up immediately, and he began to walk. And so Jesus really, if you notice the story carefully, Jesus healed this man physically to prove that he has the authority to heal him spiritually. The reason why he did the miracle was to verify his authority and his identity. Here in this 
chapter in Capernaum at his home, Jesus performed a miracle before probably hundreds of people to demonstrate that he is God, that he has the power to forgive sins, that no one has the right to question his authority. In Capernaum, Jesus verified his identity. In fact, not only does he verify that with this miracle, but he verifies that with every miracle he does in Capernaum. He verifies that by casting demons out in Capernaum and by giving sight to the blind in Capernaum and, and, and by doing things like even raising the dead, reaching into the realm of Hades and pulling out his victim. Jesus did all these miracles in Capernaum to verify to the people that he wasn't just a man, he wasn't just a good man, he wasn't just some rabbi or good moral teacher, but instead he is God. He is the son of God. He is the one that has authority to forgive sins even while on earth. And so as you continue reading about Capernaum, notice how there Jesus verified clearly his identity and also notice how when it came to his preaching his preaching in, Caper in Capernaum got a lot of mixed reactions oh yeah it got a lot of mixed reactions for example when Jesus preached in Capernaum there were a lot of people who accepted his teaching who believed in and became disciples that's what happened with Peter that's what happened with James and John that's what happened with Andrew there are a lot of people in Capernaum who believed the truth that Jesus preached but there were other people who just merely believed it. In fact, it was in Capernaum where Jesus cast some demons out of someone. And before doing that, the demons acknowledged him as Lord. They acknowledged him as the son of God. But that's all they did. They didn't submit to Jesus. They didn't follow Jesus. All they did was merely just believe in him and and say, yes, you are the son of God. That's what the demons did when they came across Jesus in Capernaum. And that's exactly what a lot of people continue to do today. According to James 2 and verse 19, even in our time today, there are a lot of people who have the faith of demons and that all they do is, is just believe. It's just acknowledge Jesus. They don't take the next step and obey and submit to him. There was a lot of just mere belief going on in Capernaum. And there was also some people who just flat out rejected him who no matter what he did, no matter what miracles he did, no matter what, preach, what truth he preached, no matter if he raised the dead, cast demons out of people, give sight to the blind, restore a man's withered hand, they were not going to accept him. They did not want to accept him as the, as the Messiah because he was not the kind of Messiah they wanted. Jesus was rejected a lot in Capernaum. In fact, when you read the story very carefully about Jesus' interactions at Capernaum, it appears that he was rejected a whole lot more in Capernaum than he was accepted. There were a lot of mixed reactions to the preaching of Jesus. And my dear friends, doesn't that same thing happen today? As we preach and teach the word of God as Christians, don't we continue to get a lot of mixed reactions from our preaching and teaching? Do we not come across some people who accept the teaching? Who accept the word of God as truth and humbly submit to it? And do we not also come across some people who just merely believe it? 
They'll say, oh, yeah, that's true, but they don't obey it. They don't submit to it. And do we not also come across some, peop some people who just flat out reject it? They flat out reject what God says about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They flat out reject what God says about, about baptism for remission of sins. They flat out reject what the Bible says about, about the one true church and, and how to worship God in a way that pleases him. Do we not still, even to this day, come across people who will read the words of truth they will see the words of truth, and yet they don't even get to the point of believing the words of truth. They just flat out reject what the gospel has to say. That stuff still happens to this day. It happened to Jesus, and we should also expect it to happen to us. We have to always remember that our job is not to convert people. Instead, it's to just plant the seed. It's to preach the word of God, spread the word of God like Jesus did, how people respond to it. It's between them and the Lord. And then a final lesson. A final lesson I want to leave you with is this. There are consequences, serious consequences for rejecting Jesus. Remember I said a lot of the people in Capernaum rejected Jesus. And Jesus said there were going to be consequences for that. Go over to Matthew chapter 11. This is the last place I'll take you. Matthew 11 and verse 20. Matthew 11 and verse 20, it says that he began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. So these were places where Jesus did miracles and the people still wouldn't believe him and turn away from their sins. He says, what are you Chorazin? What are you Bethsaida? For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, then they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades, for if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which had occurred in you, it would have remained on to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, they will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Here Jesus announces cursing on some specific cities, cities where he preached and did miracles in, and the people still rejected him. He pronounced cursing on Chorazin. He pronounced cursings on Bethsaida. We have lessons about both of those places. He also pronounced cursing on Capernaum. He said Capernaum was such a wicked city that it was even more wicked than Sodom. We're talking about the same Sodom you can read about in Genesis, Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus said that if I had did the kind of stuff that I've done here in Sodom and Gomorrah, Gomorrah those people would have repented. Those people would have, have changed. Those people would not have experienced fire and brimstone raining upon them. He's saying that the people in Sodom and Gomorrah had more honest hearts than the people of Capernaum. He says, I was here with you. I gave you the blessing and the privilege of seeing me and seeing my miracles, and you still rejected me. And because of that, you are going to experience judgment. I'm going to bring you down. I'm going to take away your glory. You're, you're going to suffer some serious consequences for rejecting me as the Messiah. Jesus says the glory of Capernaum was one day going to leave it. And I want to close just by saying this, that I've been to Capernaum, and I've seen Capernaum. 
And while Capernaum has a lot of tourists that goes through it every year, do you know, if you take the tourists out, do you know what you see in Capernaum? Nothing. Nothing. It's not a town inhabited by people anymore. It's not a town where there's a strong economy and you have people going there and saying, I want to live in Capernaum and do business here. That's not how Capernaum is today. And that's how it was 2,000 years ago. But today, Capernaum, outside of being a tourist attraction, it is nothing. It is nothing more than ruins. There are serious consequences for rejecting Jesus. In fact, if we reject Jesus, the consequences for us will be even more severe than the consequences for the people of Capernaum. God will not, maybe not punish us in a physical way, but he certainly will punish us in the most severe way, and that is spiritually, if we reject his son. And so that's our first lesson on the places where Jesus walked, Capernaum. Very important city. Pay close attention to that as you continue with your Bible reading. We'll have another study on the places Jesus walks on Wednesday. We're actually going to, we'll take a look at Nazareth and what happened when Jesus spent time in Nazareth. But have a blessed day and thank you for studying with me about the life of our Savior.